in a, in a church that, guess what? We weren't allowed to sing. Yeah. We were not allowed to sing. Thanks to this crazy virus stuff that everybody's talking about. They're not singing in their church. And I thought, my goodness, that just would stink. And, uh, but that's how it was and uh, the way in which it works. So there we are. So uh, as, we, uh, as we go. So uh, with that, I just, uh, you know what? I'm thankful. And then to hear you all sing. I like hearing y'all sing, and y'all doing a great job. And uh, so with that, let's grab our Bibles and open the book of Exodus, chapter number 30. Exodus, chapter number 30. And uh, Exodus, chapter number 30. And as you're turning to Exodus 30, we're uh, wrapping up. I, uh, we've taken a journey talking about the tabernacle life. Talking about the tabernacle life, and uh, as we've been doing so, uh, we're wrapping up our study of living the tabernacle life, and my hope and prayer is that uh, you will live a tabernacle life, uh, become a part of the spiritual DNA, just as the children of Israel uh, traveled uh, with God throughout the wilderness, and I pray that we... uh, we will be fond of traveling with God throughout our days as well. So uh, as we open to Exodus chapter number 30. Now, I'm going to show you a, a psalm as well that recently describes the tabernacle life. It's Psalm chapter 34. If you're writing things down, there you are. Psalm 34, and uh, uh, it tells us that uh, you who are his holy ones fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Young lions have uh, must have unmet needs because those who seek the Lord have all their needs met. Uh, their needs will be met, and, and for every person who seeks the Lord can say along with Jacob in Genesis 33, 1, when he said, God has been gracious to me, and I have everything I need. I have everything I need. And so uh, as we uh, come through, he meets our uh, external needs. Anybody starving tonight? Uh, starving. Now, I got news for you. I can look at most of you and tell you're kind of like Brother Chase and I. Brother Chase and I, you can look at us and you know that we're going to live off the fat of the land for a day or two. We're not going to have a problem with that. We've, we've got some roundness and some bulk that will uh, keep us longer. Some of you that are really skinny, you don't have that. So those of you that are like the preacher, you can raise your hand and say, I'll live longer than you, and you know that because God's provided for me greatly, right? And uh, so you little want you to go, oh, my lands, I just got several funny looks. But all right, you realize God meets our external needs. He takes care of us. I'm so glad everybody's boozed, fed, clothed, and has the necessities of life. He takes care of that. You realize he meets our internal needs, love, purpose, friendship, and peace. He meets that very need as well. But the greatest need, he meets our eternal needs. He meets our eternal needs. A relationship with God, salvation in heaven. He meets the eternal need that is, is once for all and forever. And so as, as we're going, uh, our, uh, the person who can say, God has been gracious to me and I have everything I need, is the same person who can say, I'm living the tabernacle life. I'm living a triumphant life. Uh, And that life begins with walking through the gate of the tabernacle into the outer court. And that gate is a picture of Jesus when he said, I am the door. Anyone who enters it by me, he will be saved. Now there's a door or a gate which leads uh, to a pardon. 
and leads, leaves you in a peace. And Jesus described that door in Luke chapter 13. He said, narrow is the door. J.C. Ryrie like, asks, how shall a man and God be brought together? How shall a man ever draw near to his maker without fear and shame? Blessed be God. There is a way, there is a road, there is a path, there is a door. It is a gate spoken in, of the, in the words of Christ, the narrow door. The, this gate was made for sinners, and it's always open. It's always open. I'm thankful that it's open more than some of the doors that I work with when I'm doing my inspections. I went in a house here, it wasn't too long ago, and I was testing doors. That's my part of my job. I have to test doors. I have to close and open every door in the house. And I walked in the room and I closed the door. And I'm thankful that Jesus isn't like this particular door. Because when I closed the door, I turned around, I did the other stuff in the room, and I went back to the door and I grabbed the handle on the door and I turned the knob. And guess what? I was stuck. The doorknob did not work. The hardware on the door didn't work, and it was one of them old houses, so you know everything's really close. I immediately, I grabbed for my knife, because I know that a lot of doors I can get open with my knife. And I grabbed for my knife, and I stuck it in there, and I, I got a little nervous. I thought I was locked in this room. I didn't know for how long. I didn't know for how or where. So what did I do? I'm glad that Hannah's back in the back right now, but she can testify. What did I do? I grabbed my cell phone because I had it on me, and I called Hannah. And I said, Hannah, where are you? And she says, I'm already home. Bummer, because she drove right by the house on her way home from work. She was like three blocks from where I was. And I was like, oh, no. I had to look at that doorknob and look at that doorknob, and it took me a few minutes before I gained my composure because I'm thinking I'm going out the window that didn't have a screen. I don't know. I couldn't figure out how to get I didn't have the right screwdriver to take everything apart. All I had was my knife. I'm like, oh, man, I am so bumming. I cannot get the door open. I tried to turn, and you couldn't pull the handle off. There was nothing to do. And I'm a pretty handy person, guys. You can try to say, well, you should have done this. We should have done that. I'm telling you right now. I am a very handy person. So I'm looking at the thing going, the tools that are on me, I couldn't get through the door at that particular moment. After I said, oh, God, help me a few times, he gave me some wisdom that said, oh, yeah, do this. And I tightened down a screw with my knife as best I could and managed to get the door knob to turn just enough that the latch went and popped the door open. And I was like, Whew, there's a way. I tell all of that story for this very simple reason. Because when I stepped through that door, I thought, you know what? When I was trapped in that room, all I could think of is I am stuck here for a while until somebody comes and gets me. And guess what? There's no way out. So that door was the way. You know what? When it comes to eternity, Jesus is the door. He is the only way. There's no other door but through Jesus Christ into heaven. And so as we're looking at the, the tabernacle life and we've been looking at the, the, the narrow door, the gate was made for sinners and it's always open. The door was made for sinners, and it's always open. You don't have to look for another gate because there's only one gate. That's the Lord Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And after passing through the gate, we come to what's, what, what uh, we come next to a brazen altar to experience the guarantee of the tabernacle. 
there's a guarantee. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And all those blood sacrifices were a shadow of the blood sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And the Bible says in Romans 6.10, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. One time for all time, he took care of it. It's not one time for one person, but it was once for all. We read in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, For Christ also suffered uh, for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might uh, bring you to God. We read in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So before entering the holy place, you have to stop by the labor. you got to stop by that labor where we experience the grace of the tabernacle. It's at the labor we rinse off the dirt we've picked up along the journey. Anybody ever get dirty? Oh, yeah. You know what? Same thing happens in our sin life, doesn't it? We have a way of getting dirty. We have a way of rebelling. We have a way of doing things we ought not to do. And we need to come and we thank God for the labor, the written word of God that reveals the dirt that's in our life and the living word of God that removes the dirt from our life, cleanses us by his grace and making our way toward the holy place. <clears throat> As we walk through the veil into the holy place, to our left we see a golden candlestick and all of its beauty and brilliance providing light for the room. It's through the candlestick we experience the glow of the tabernacle for it's Jesus who lights up our world. We hear him say in John chapter 8 and verse number 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but I uh, but have the light of life. It is, it's his word that is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Within the holy place we see this light shining directly across this table of showbread. Table of showbread where we experience the goodness of the tabernacle. Table of showbread. Now, I know some of you like some bread. You like some bread. I know that Miss Heather rates a restaurant by how good their bread is. She does. If the bread's really good, we'll go back. If the bread stinks, if it's not very tasty, guess what? We might not go back to that restaurant ever again. I mean, I've been to restaurants where the food was really, really good, but the bread was not. And guess what? We didn't go back. We didn't go back. You know what? When we come to the whole, when we come to the place, when we get into the the candlestick, when we get into the room, when we begin to see the the experience in the holy place and the light shining uh, across to the table, the showbread, we experience the goodness of the tabernacle. And that's the daily bread on the table that points us to Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. He's saving bread. He's satisfying bread. He's sustaining bread. Perhaps one of, uh, one of our first prayers went something like this. Some of you might remember this. It says, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our Some folks go, well, I one of those and uh, types of prayers. We teach them we teach folks how to ride a bicycle. Maybe you I remember teaching Brittany how to ride her bicycle. I shoved her down the hill. Whew, here you go. I sat in the backyard and I'll pick on her again. I sat in the backyard and I caught more softballs. 
than I could ever number. She, she and I played catch in the backyard over and over and over and over again. How about fishing? Anybody like fishing? You remember who taught you to fish? Who took you fishing? How about, some of you aren't old enough yet, but how about driving a car for you? I don't Remember who, who was the brave soul that got in the car with you and started driving? God forbid that our, our kids and our children grow up and, and out of our homes, let us teach them how to pray. But you know what the reality is, is we have a job to teach, mom and dad. We have a job to teach. And God's house of symbols is not quite complete. There's still two pieces of furniture that remain that we haven't talked about. Still two pieces left. And one is found in the holy place. The other is found in the holy of holies. The one in the holy place is the altar. And the one in the holy of holies is the ark. So we have an altar and we have an ark. And, and it's the altar and the ark that points us to the glory of the tabernacle. And of course I'm talking about the altar of incense and the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. The, the altar of incense is the holy place, is in the holy place. The Ark of the Covenant is in the holy of holies. And uh, the altar of incense speaks of our prayers to God. The Ark of the Covenant speaks of the presence of God. The altar of incense released a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And the Ark of the Covenant was a reminder of the ever-present aurora of God. And, and it is the... the it is that altar and ark that remind us of the glory of the tabernacle. That is the glory of God's presence. It reminds us there. So we're going to begin reading in Exodus chapter 30. That was all for free introduction there. I'm just getting started. You kids don't. Some of you looked at me like, oh Lord, we're going to be here a while. It's not half as bad as that illustration I gave this morning. I, I know that. Some of you, some of the adults, they like that illustration this morning. The illustration went like this, that a preacher was preaching, and the group heard him preach, and he preached for only 10 minutes. They were looking for their pastor. He preached for 10 minutes. Ray Leo, what do you think? Good pastor, bad pastor? He only preached for 10 minutes. That's pretty good, huh? You go, yeah. You know what they did? They voted him in to be their pastor. His first Sunday there, he preached, and what did he do? He preached for 30 minutes. For 30 minutes, he preached, and he let it go. Woo, there he goes for 30 minutes. Oh, Kayla, that's a long time right there. 30 minutes? What do you think? Yeah, you think? Shake your head one way or the other. Everybody's looking at me. I'm not going, you're going, oh, not 30 minutes. Well, guess what happened the next Sunday? Guess what happens the next Sunday? He preached for two hours. I'm pretty sure that's not how long RJ preached. I'm pretty sure that's not how long R.J. preached. He preached for two hours. The deacons had a meeting and they called him in to say, Hey, what do you think you're doing? Explain yourself. Ten minutes. We loved it. And the preacher says to him, he said, Well, on the first Sunday, he said, My, my, my new dentures. I got my new dentures and my mouth was hurting so bad, I could only preach for ten minutes and then I was all done. I couldn't preach no longer. My mouth hurt so bad. Well, the next week it was 30 minutes, and they were all right with that. That's kind of a normal sermon time frame, and they were all right with that. But what happened, he says, well, I, I got the right dentures in, and everything was fit, and everything was good. I had the right teeth, and, and I was comfortable, and I, I stopped right on time. 
third one? Did RJ preach a long time last week? Anybody know? He didn't? You sure about that? You sure about that? Because I'm pretty sure he didn't grab Miss Rachel's teeth like this preacher did. And I don't dare. Miss, Re- Miss, Miss Heather doesn't have any false teeth, so you don't have to worry about me doing this either, just so we get that on hand. But you ready for this? That preacher says he preached for two hours, and they said, why? And he said, it's because I grabbed my wife's teeth. And as soon as I put them in my mouth, I started going, yak, 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 yak. and he preached for two hours. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Say what you want, Miss Heather. <laughs> Exodus chapter number 30 now. We hear God's instructions regarding the altar of incense. In Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse number 1. In Exodus 30, verse number 1, and it says, And it shall make, and thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon of shittim wood that should make it, and the cubit shall be the length thereof, and the cubit the breadth thereof. Four squares shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold the top thereof and the sides thereof round about the horns thereof and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about by the way very simply that says you're going to make it so big and you're going to cover it all with gold simple enough all right verse number four it says in two golden rings shalt thou make uh, to it under the crown of it and two corners thereof Upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it, and they shall be the four places for the staves to bear it withal. By the way, here, let me describe that. That means there's going to be two rings on uh, the front, and there's going to be two rings on the back. And those rings are for a pole to go right on through so the priest can grab it from the front, and the priest can grab it in the back, and they pick it all up together, and they can walk. Pretty cool. They don't ever have to touch it. That's pretty cool. Pretty neat. To see how God had laid that out there. Verse number 5. And thou shalt make the, the staves, those sticks that I'm talking about of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. So everything's covered with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the, the testimony, where I will meet with thee. You're to put those over there. And by the way, that's where I'm going to meet with you. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. And when he dresseth the lamps, and he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So there's going to be constant uh, burning of incense that takes place. And according to Leviticus chapter 16, the priest took the censer full of the, the burning coals from the brazen altar in one hand, and uh, especially prepared sweet incense in the other hand, and he lit the incense by sprinkling over the, the burning coals. A thick cloud of smoke would curl up towards the uh, upwards and filling the tabernacle and, and symbolic of Israel's prayers to God, that smoke filling the temple. David Levy in his book, The Tabernacle Shows uh, uh, of the Messiah, tells us that before the priest could offer the incense of prayer, there were three requirements that had to be met. Three requirements. First, the priest had to minister at the brazen altar, shedding the blood of an animal for their sins. Secondly, the priest had to wash all defilement off of their hands and feet. They had to scrub clean. And third, the priest had to be 
in the holy place to offer the incense of praise. So you look and you say there were three. They had to, to shed blood, the blood of an animal for their sins. They had to wash the defilement off of their skin. And they had to be in the holy place to offer the incense. Now remember, all that was done to teach us something. And what was the fragrance incense a picture of? It was a picture of prayer. The prayers offered up to God. We hear David pray in Psalm 141, verse 2. He says, may my prayer be set before you as incense. So who was at the altar of incense offering those prayers? Who was? The priest was. He was the only one allowed in the holy place representing the people of God. So what is God wanting us to know about prayer? Do you remember those three requirements? Those three requirements are so important. We've got to come by the blood. Well, that was by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to come through him. You realize to wash all defilement from our hands, we're to be cleansed, we're to ask him for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, when he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. You look and you go, there it is. And the third one being the fact that somebody had to be there making intercession, praying. So remember this, when it comes to prayer, we come to the Father through the Son and the Spirit power of the Holy Spirit. So the second requirement for the priest to meet before they could enter the holy place is to offer incense to prayer. They had to wash the defilement from their hands and their feet. We already made mention of 1 John 1, 9 and Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 29 says this. Let me ask you a question before I rattle that verse off. Do you want to be close to God or far from God? Well, I want to be snuggled up close. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but I want to. I want to. I want to get close. I don't want to be as far away as I can. Listen to what the Proverbs tells us, and the wise man tells us in Proverbs fifteen and verse twenty nine. He says, "The Lord is far from the wicked." Doesn't sound like the wicked are getting very close, does it? But he hears the prayer of the righteous. As the believer priest, we we have to spend time at the labor rinsing the dirt off of your life and mine. We've got to wash our hands, our feet. Uh, We've got to wash before entering in the presence of a holy God. The third requirement was for the priest to be be holy in, in the holy place, to offer incense of prayer, cleansed by the blood and water. They stepped into the place of fellowship with God. And here's how the writer of Hebrews says it in chapter 10. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. James 4, 8 says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, it's only when we are in a proper relationship with God that we can have the, the full assurance that he will hear and that he'll answer our prayers. I've got to have a proper relationship with God. Now, before we leave the altar of incense and, and, and cross the veil into the Holy of Holies, let me give you two practical Bible principles from the altar of incense. Number one is you are never closer to God than when you pray. You are never closer to God than when you pray. When we're talking with God, what is your prayer life saying today about our closeness to God? How close are you to God? When was the last time you were talking with God? It's no wonder the devil works over time to disrupt and to dis- dis- diminish and delete our prayer time. 
He would love to wipe the screens of our prayer time. He would love to cleanse the, the database, the memory of prayer in your life and mine. He'd love to wipe it like you do, like you wipe a phone. You cleanse it completely and you get everything, all the junk out of it. He'd like to do that to your prayer life. Because the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's up to. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy your life. Our prayer life indicates how close we are to God. You realize we don't sing our way close to God. We pray our way close. And I like to sing. But it's in my prayer time that I get close to God. See, when we get busy talking with God because we're never closer to God than when we pray, he's waiting to hear from us. And he tells us in Jeremiah 33, 3, call on me, call unto me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and incomprehensible, wonderful things that you do not know. Pray with an expectation, and you realize we'll hear from Almighty God. We've got to pray expecting bold prayers or blessed prayers. Don't pray for rain and leave your umbrella at home, by the way. If I'm going to ask God for, for rain, and I'm going to trust God to make it rain, I better take my umbrella with me, right? Otherwise, I'm not praying. I'm not saying, well, God, I believe you're going to make that happen. Listen to the prayer of David in Psalm 5, and when he said, listen to my words, Lord, consider my, my sighing, pay attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God. I pray to you in the morning. Lord, you hear my voice in the morning. I plead my case to you, and I watch expectantly. I'd ask you this. What burden's on your heart? What challenge is in your soul? What is it that, that, that makes you some days cry? Maybe cry more than one day. Maybe bring tears down our face. What is it that, that wretches on our heart? And then I'm going to ask you this. Have you prayed expectant to God to make a change. Have you been asking God with, with the same worry, the same burden of our soul to say, God, make a change. Do what, what you want to do in this situation in my life. You know, it's amazing what God can do when we are just willing to turn it over and say, here, God. He might change the situation, but he might change you. See, when we pray, Father, through the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're never closer to God than we pray. Prayers are heard by God. They come through Jesus. And now with great reverence, we step into the Holy of Holies. Here we find the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And if the altar of incense points us to the prayers to God, then the Ark of the Covenant points us right into the presence of God. So what is the ark? The ark, uh, the word translated ark actually means a box or a chest for safekeeping of cherished articles. Do you have a box that has cherished articles in it? I have a box that has cherished articles. It's a wonder Brother Chase didn't start laughing. I have a box that has cherished articles in it. I have things I like to collect, and I have a box that has those things in it. Some of them are bigger than others has really cool stuff. Some of you have have little cherished articles and, and things, and it might be a card that somebody's given you. 
we go through the, the different cherished articles that you, that you have, but a box or a chest for safekeeping of cherished articles. Do you realize this particular box that we're talking about was 45 inches long? Three feet, six inches. And it was 27 inches wide, 27 inches wide, two feet, six inches. And 27 inches high, two feet, six inches high. So according to Exodus 25 and verse number 10, God told Moses in Exodus 25, 8, they are to make me a sanctuary for me so that I might dwell, tabernacle among them. Then I might be there. Now, don't get the idea that God was in the box or that God was the box. Let's make sure we don't get that idea. God wasn't in the box and God wasn't the box. And uh, by the way, you can't put God in a box any more than you can put an ocean in a gallon jug. The box or the ark is a symbol for the presence of Almighty God. So keep in mind that the tabernacle was constructed to show how sinful people can come into the presence of the Holy God. That's what the tabernacle is all about. It's about sinful people, uh, that, that, uh, sinful people doing life with a holy God. It's like people like you and me doing life with a holy God. That's pretty cool. So keep in mind that the tabernacle is constructed to show how we can come into the presence of God. That's what the tabernacle life is all about. It's about sinful people doing life with a holy God. It's about living in the, God's presence. It's about living with God's protection. It's about living with God's provision. That's what living the tabernacle life is all about. No wonder Jesus described it as abundant life. Abundant life. Now, do you remember what the ark, what was in the ark? Hebrews chapter four or chapter nine and verse number four, it contained a gold jar containing manna. You remember? Manna. RJ jokes about it. What is it? That's what it means. Manna. What is it? I don't know what it is. It is what it is. I don't know. Manna. What is it? A jar of gold containing manna. It had Aaron's staff that budded, and it had the tablets of the covenant. It had the Ten Commandments. Those tablets that God had given Moses up on Mount Sinai. So the first item mentioned was the golden jar of manna. The manna speaks of God's provision. God provided manna for the children of Israel during 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And every day they'd wake up to a fresh batch. A fresh batch. I don't know about you. Miss Heather fixes breakfast every now and then for me. Oh, it'd be nice if every morning I woke up to a fresh batch of breakfast. Now I know that's not going to happen. If you all looked at her face right then, you knew that it wasn't going to happen either. But can you imagine God, every single day, they woke up to a fresh batch of manna. Fresh batch, God provided it. How cool. Woo. You think after a while they might have become so uh, used to it that they just kind of, eh, there's another manna. There's some more. They got to where they didn't care about it as much. Just another day. I got to get up and go to school. And, oh, by the way, there's manna again. Or how about this one? Manna again. Again. Chicken again. Macaroni and cheese again. Oh, yeah, with a side of manna. Don't forget it. Manna. What is it? I don't know, but you're going to eat it again today. And it's all you're getting is more manna. 
I can see them stumbling out of their tent early in the morning like a, a, a newborn calf trying to walk for the first time, kind of wobbling all over, rubbing their eyes, trying to wake up, realizing that there is coming uh, on the ground all across the camp, waking up to the little wafer they came to. I can see them going, whoo hoo crouching down like a baseball catcher behind home plate, taking a good hard look, saying, what is it? What is that thing down there? I can tell you this. When I went to college, there were a few times when I went into the cafeteria, and I walked in there, and I looked into those bowls, and I said, what is it? What is it? We called it mystery meat. Somebody asked, so what was it? Well, Exodus chapter 16, verse number 15, describes it as bread from heaven. Psalm 78, verse 25, described manna as the bread of angels. Might be where Asia food cakes originated from. Verse 25 said he sent them an abundant supply of food. Numbers 21 says it describes as, as the light bread. In Exodus chapter 16, it's described as resembling coriander uh, seed, as white and tasted like wafer made with honey. Let me tell you what manna was. It was the provision of God. Remember, Jesus spoke of that manna in John chapter 6 and verse 32. He said, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. Verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. Let me give you one Bible principle we can take from manna. You can depend on God to meet your needs, internal, eternal, and external. I can count on him to take care of the inside, the outside, and forever. Aaron's staff speaks of the power of God. You can read about the miracle in Numbers chapter 16 and 17. Let me give you a condensed version. It seems like there was a revolt from about 250 people from the 12 tribes challenging Moses and Aaron's leadership. That didn't go well for a man named Korah. Uh, for the ground opened up like a sinkhole and down he went. How'd you like that to happen? Whoop! Bam! He's gone. See you later. How you doing, guys? No! Yes, the rest of the 250 people who had rebelled against Moses' leadership, they were destroyed by God in fire. How'd you like to see that one? I really wonder what kind of guy Moses was. I look and I go, how could you watch this? How could you part the seas? How could you see these things happen? And Moses be the least bit of normal. I just, I don't understand that one. But the very next day, one of the accusing Moses, uh, one of them was accusing Moses of killing the people of God. So God instructed Moses to select a representative from each tribe. And for them to bring an almond rod, the same uh, with the name of their tribe engraved on it. All 12 rods or staffs were placed in the tabernacle. And they would, when they woke up in the morning, Aaron's staff, staff or rod had budded, blossomed, and yielded almonds. Nobody else's but Aaron's. See, that rod or staff was all they needed to know that Moses and Aaron were God's men. They were God's men. The budding rod or staff was a picture of the resurrection of Jesus. It was placed in the ark as a reminder of, of God's power, God's resurrection power. So what's the Bible principle taken from Aaron's rod or staff? You can live for God in resurrection power. The manna speaks of God's provision. You can depend on God to meet all your needs. The rod, 
or staff speaks of God's power. You can live for God and in, in, in resurrection power. Tablets of stone speaks of God's perfection. And God engraved in those tablets his, his moral law. And those tablets were placed in the ark as a reminder of God's perfection and, and man's predicament. And all together they point to a Savior who fulfilled the law at all points. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 17, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or to put away the law or the prophets. I didn't come to put that all away, but I came to fulfill. He came to fill it. We hear Paul saying in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Galatians 4, 4 says, When the time came, when the time came, completion was done. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those that are under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons, that we might call him Abba, Father. Woo-hoo-hoo, I could call him Papa. And thank God for the reality of Galatians 3.13 when Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law when he pardoned us, when he pardoned us, because it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. So what's one Bible principle we can take away from the tablets of stone? You can trust God to satisfy the law through his son, Jesus. So take away from the manna is this. You can depend on God to meet your need. Take away from the rod, or the, rod the staff, is you can live for God in the power of the resurrection. The takeaway from the tablet is you can trust God for satisfying the law through his son, Jesus. And that is the glory of the tabernacle. That's the glory of the tabernacle. Now I have to do one more thing. How many of you can see the little pieces that are all in the tabernacle? Look at that. One or two of you. You might have an idea. I've asked Brittany to pull something up for me. And she's going to help us, and we're going to be able to see. We're going to take a tour, one last tour as we finish up. Just going to take us a couple of minutes, and we're going to take a ta- take a tour, and somebody's going to talk with us as they walk us through the tabernacle. It's not scary. It's a simple thing. So, Brittany, go ahead and take us through.
desires for us to be in his presence. I hope that helps you to see some of the pieces we've talked about all the way through our study in the tabernacle. To be able to see not only maybe what they look like, but where they were placed as we try to describe them. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful for the privilege it is to be able to preach your word. Father, I ask that more than anything, you would speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand. Help us to see you. And to see that you desire a relationship with us. That most of all, all of the tabernacle, it was all there that very simply said, we'd have a relationship with you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for who you are. What you've done. And how that you desired a party that we could come to. In Jesus' name we pray.